All right, hallelujah. Well, today, we're going to be talking about God's Word on mothers. Now, you probably didn't expect a teaching like this on Mother's Day. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about mothers today. So turn with me, if you will, to our master text in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And you know what? I, uh, I've got a little special thing I want to do. Um, I'm going to honor my wife with a Mother's Day card. And the reason I'm doing this publicly, the reason I'm doing this publicly is uh, there's, a, there's a method in my madness. I uh, believe in, um, in giving honor to whom honor is due. And this is going to tie in with the teaching this morning. So I'm going to tell you what I did. Um, I made a, a homemade Mother's Day card. It has a picture of Donald Trump on the front of it. <laughs> and, and it says this. Now, I, I won't be able to pull off Donald Trump's accent, but I'll do the best that I can. So it says this. Happy Mother's Day to a great mom. Such a great mom. Really terrific. Everyone agrees. Those other moms, total disasters. <laughs> you are really very special, very beautiful, and no one knows moms like I do. And in the history of moms, you're the greatest. Believe me, if anybody says there's a better mom, it's fake news. But that's not all. I wrote her a little poem on the inside, so I'm going to share this with you because this really does exemplify the, uh, the pastor's wife here. She's, she makes a great pastor's wife, by the way. And so, <laughs> so I think that you'll all concur with parts of this, and my poem goes like this. When I think of a descriptive word for mother, I think nurture fits like no other, because this is what good mothers do, and few I know do it better than you. It seems you find your greatest joy in serving, even when the recipient seems undeserving. Never ever thinking of just what you prefer, one of your greatest skills is the ability to defer. So on this Mother's Day, I would like to show it by briefly assuming the role of a poet. I thought it good to compose a poem or song, and because all the good cards at Walmart were all gone. <laughs> that really is true. As I often like to playfully say, I want to grow up to be like you someday. And when you come into your heavenly reward, ask God to give me a place right next to yours. <laughs> and I named, named my new card company Memory Lapse Cards. <laughs> with, with an icon of a guy on the back going, so give honor to whom honor is due and uh, I think uh, that Donna is especially deserving of that honor because she is a great mother a great grandmother and a great mother in the house to you all right <laughs> praise God 
All right, stand with me if you will, and let's read our master text to just three verses in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. All right, well, obviously, the promise there, there's a promise and a condition, right? The promise is for a long, good life if you honor your mother and father. The condition, obviously, is just that, honor. To honor your mother, to honor your father. And the promise is a long, good life. It's, I think, the, one of the only places in the Bible that has that particular promise connected to it. So let's define honor for a moment. What is honor according to the Bible? Well, the word honor, as it's taken from the Hebrew, is the word kabed, and it means to glorify, to promote, to boast, abounding with, lay heavily, and to make weighty. Now, the latter three definitions of kabed are interesting in that they don't seem to fit with the first three. Again, the first three, to glorify, to promote, to boast. That seems to make sense um, in defining honor. But what about these last three? Again, as I've always said, the Hebrew and the Greek languages are very expansive. And to try to squeeze down that very expansive language into English is a very big challenge sometimes because sometimes you need a whole paragraph to understand one word that's been translated into English is one word. But actually the expanded definition would require an entire paragraph in some cases to understand that word. So what do we make of the latter half of this definition of honor to lay heavily, or, or I should say abounding with, to lay heavily and to make weighty? Well, um, the connotation and usage of that word in Exodus 20:12 as uh, it appears in the Ten Commandments, seems to suggest that the promotion and glorification of parents should be um, applied so liberally and generously that it's literally like pouring something out on someone or to load them down with something uh, so significantly, so thoroughly that there's absolutely no lack. That's what it means. Now, similarly, the uh, definition to make weighty could also mean that the children bear a great weight of responsibility in carrying out the glorification of parents as biblically defined here. Now, what I thought I would do is I don't do like lengthy, lengthy readings in my teachings, but I'm going to do two lengthy readings in this teaching today, just because I want you to see Matthew Henry's old commentary on Exodus 20:12, which uh, our master text quoted from, honor your father and mother, that came from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 12. So I want you to look at Matthew Henry's commentary, an expanded discussion on uh, what this actually means, honor your father and mother. So let's read together. Uh, he writes this, the fifth commandment concerns duties we owe to our relations, specifically those of children to their parents. Honor thy father and thy mother, which includes, number one, a decent respect to their persons, an inward esteem of them outwardly expressed upon all occasions in our conduct toward them. 
fear, or in other words, show an awesome respect for them, according to Leviticus 19.3, and give them reverence, according to Hebrews 12.9. The contrary to this is mocking at them and despising them, according to Proverbs 30, verse 17. Does anybody want to know what? Just, I'm just curious. You know what Proverbs 30, verse 17 means? I mean, what, what it says, I should say. Not means, but do you, anybody know what it says? No one? Bueller? Bueller? Okay. Uh, the, eye, the eye that mocks a father and scorns obedience to a mother shall be pecked out by the eagles and eaten by the ravens. That's what it says. Okay, let's go on with Matthew Henry's commentary here. Number two, obedience to their lawful commands. Now, it, it emphasizes lawful there. You don't want to obey a parent that commands you to do something that God would forbid. But obedience to their lawful commands, as expounded upon in, in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, the master text that we just read. Children, obey your parents. Come when they call you. Go where they send you. Do what they bid you. Refrain from what they forbid you. And do this cheerfully in an attitude of love. Number three on Matthew Henry's list. Submit to their rebukes, instructions, and corrections. And do this not only, get this, do this not only to the good and gentle parent, but also to the stubbornly contrary and disobedient parent. Why? Out of conscience toward God. Okay, we're going to expound upon that. So stay tuned on that note right there. We'll come back to that. Number four, inclining to their advice, direction, and consent, and seeking their approval. And finally, number five, endeavoring in everything to be the comfort of their parents and to make their old age easy to them, maintaining them as if they stand in need of support, which our Savior makes to be particularly intended in this commandment. So, Look, we have to be aware in reading all this, we have to be aware that there's no age given in Scripture for when a child is free from the obligation to honor his or her parent. As far as the reader of Scripture can discern, um, God intends for children to honor and revere their parents for a lifetime. Now, let me pause right there because... I know in our culture today, that creates some troubling emotions for some people. Unfortunately, parental abuse and what have you is a real part of our society now, sadly. And so these commands um, create some troubling emotions, don't they, for some people. So we're going to talk about this for just a little while. So honoring parents who have been abusive, self-centered, insulting to their children, or anything but nurturing, is probably the last thing on the minds of children who have been violated by their parents. And how can a loving and compassionate God expect the victims of abuse to honor parents who have victimized or violated their children. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. 
I'm going to talk about just for a moment here exercising faith in the sovereignty of God. And by the way, when I mean sovereign, I, I don't mean, I, I don't agree with some of the segments of the body of Christ today when they talk about the sovereignty of God. This is a side note. When they talk about the sovereignty of God, they seem to mean that God ordains everything that happens everywhere with every people, with every person, and every decision all the time. That's not what the sovereignty of God means. The sovereignty of God simply means exalted in power and might and wisdom. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that God's ordaining everything, uh, everything that happens all the time. If he did, then we would have to ultimately blame God for rape and incest and murder and extortion and all different kinds of horrific things that are going on. God gives free will. So the sovereignty of God simply means um, exalted in power, might, and wisdom. God knows the beginning from the end, okay? But he's not ordaining rapists to go out and do what they do and child molesters to go out and do what they do and murderers and thieves and all that. And God's not ordaining that. God's not a sick, twisted God. So, okay, so when, when you hear me say the sovereignty of God, I'm talking about the true biblical definition of the sovereignty of God, not how some people kind of twisted it. Um, and I, I don't know why, this is totally a side note, I don't know why people twist the sovereignty of God into meaning that God ordains everything, except for the fact that Keith Moore, pastor in Branson, Missouri, calls that no-fault religion. In other words, regardless of what happens, it's not my fault. Because God's sovereign. He ordained it. No, no, read the Bible. Uh, okay. So on that note, I, I want to talk about Saul, uh, King Saul and David here for just a moment in making this point. Okay, so um, I'm going to lead up to sharing a scripture with you. But in, um, in a, a passage in the Bible in the Old Testament, uh, we see that David was running for his life from King Saul, who was, had murderous intentions toward him, was hunting him relentlessly. And even though David had done nothing wrong, but it was because of Saul's jealousy toward him. So at one point, uh, David and his men were hiding deep in a cave, and it just so happens that King Saul came to the mouth of the cave to relieve himself. And while this was happening, um, King David, or I'm sorry, David, he wasn't king yet. David saw his opportunity to maybe show him. Actually, his, his men were encouraging him, hey, this is your opportunity, take him out. We'll end our lives as fugitives. But David had more character than that. So what he did do instead is uh, while King Saul was doing his business, he saw the opportunity to take the edge of his robe with a sword and cut off the edge of his robe to show him, I could have killed you, but I didn't do it. And so we pick up the story right there in um, 1 Samuel 25, verses 5 through 8, which says this, Afterward... After King Saul had done his business in the cave and, and David cut off the edge of his robe. So that's where we pick it up. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. He's calling the guy who's hunting him and causing him to be a fugitive. He's hunting him and trying to take his life. It, look at what he says about him. God forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. 
Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So folks, here again, we see a simple trust in the sovereignty of God. David had every right, humanly speaking, to be bitter towards Saul. Now, I know we're talking about mothers this morning, but I'm making a, a point here to come back around to, to mothers and parents that maybe were not such great parents and that have hurt people, okay, hurt their children. So once again, David had every right, humanly speaking, to be very bitter towards Saul. And in the time and place in which Saul and David lived in that culture, it would not have been necessarily looked down upon for David to take Saul's life because the throne had been promised to David anyway by God through the prophet Samuel. So everybody knew that David's going to be the next king and everybody knew that Saul was a madman. So it wouldn't have been frowned upon in that society for David to just take him out. Okay? Um, but David trusted God's timing. Boy, you got to get this. David trusted God's timing and his intentions toward him enough to know to not take matters into his own hands. Okay? See, he knew that if God had promised him the blessing of the throne, that he didn't need to overpower the person that God had sovereignly placed upon the throne for the time being in order to get the throne. Are you following me? He just waited on God's timing. So listen to this. David honored Saul. David honored Saul, not for his character, because as I said, Saul was a madman. He was a murderous, demon-possessed madman. So David honored Saul, not for his character, but for the position that Saul held over David as both his king and especially as his father-in-law. David demonstrated a faith in God regarding the adversity that he endured at the hands of Saul. And this is kind of a, another related point here as well. Not only did David honor Saul, but he also demonstrated a faith in God regarding the adversity that he endured at the hands of Saul, a faith that was later articulated by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament in Romans 8.28 when he wrote that we know that in all things God works together for the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's always been the case in the Old Testament and the new. Regardless of your circumstances, God may not have caused the circumstances. Satan may have inspired someone to rise up against you. But God in his wonderful sovereignty and his, his power will turn the, even the worst situation around to maneuver it for your good. Praise God. Satan's such a loser. He's such a loser. He, he rises up against people to try to destroy them. And God says, not so fast. I'm going to take the very thing that you meant to destroy this person and turn it around to bless this person in the long run. Hallelujah. So Christians who have uh, endured pain and suffering at the hands of their parents, and we're talking about mothers this morning in particular. So Christians who have endured pain and suffering at the hands of a mother or a father have to trust 
that their painful circumstances will ultimately work for good at some point and bring about the fulfillment of God's will in their lives, provided, provided they respond correctly. Now, you can have a bunch of junk happen to you with your parents and then not respond correctly, and it won't go for good. You have to respond correctly so God can bless it. See, when we trust God in this way, no longer will we need to harbor resentment by withholding good from those who have harmed us. See, we can gladly bless those who have wronged us uh, and not begrudge um, honoring them and doing good to them because we know that their sins toward us are working for our good if we trust God and if we respond appropriately. All right? Therefore, listen, it's evident from the scriptures then that God does indeed expect us to honor even those parents who have not been honorable. In doing so, one of the potential benefits that will accrue to us as a result of showing the love of God to uh, someone who's wronged us is that we become tools in the hands of God to reach people that don't know the Lord yet. Did you hear what I just said? When we refuse to harbor resentment and withhold good from those who have wronged us, especially an authority figure, we can then become tools in the hands of God to reach people that were unreachable before. Praise God. Hallelujah. And as a matter of fact, I want to retell a story. I've told this story, I don't know, three or four times in this church, but I just, I just never can think of a better example on this point. So I'm going to retell this. For those of you that have heard this before, bear with me. This will be new for some of you. I heard a true story of a young, young man who was newly married. And he'd only been married about a year. And one day, his mother came over to visit his wife. And he was gone, so it was just his mother and his wife in the house. Now, his father was a very troubled man, and during that visit between the mother and um, this young man's new wife, the father came to that house and murdered both women. So in one full swoop, the young man lost his new wife and his mother. Now, if there was, would be any right to hate someone, that young man would have a right. But he loved the Lord. And he had, a, he had a picture and a perspective that was much bigger than just himself. So he made a commitment to himself that I'm not going to hate my father. I'm going to love him and minister to him. And he went to the prison after he was convicted and sent to prison. He went to the prison to visit him regularly just to love on him, just to continue the relationship with him until eventually he led him to the Lord. I mean, wow. How many of us would be able to do that? See, the Bible tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We have the ability to do that because the Holy Spirit lives in us, but so often we get so focused on our own pain that we can't see past ourselves to see the bigger picture. The Holy Spirit will give us the bigger picture if you're paying attention. Hallelujah. All right. 
Now, I do want to offer a word of caution, though, and this is just a little, little bit of a tidbit of wisdom for you. Proverbs 14, 16 says this, the wise are cautious and avoid danger, but fools plunge ahead with great confidence. Well, what do I mean by that? What do I, why do I want to bring that up? Well, because um, I want you to understand that it's necessary to honor all parents, but if there happens to be a particular parent that poses a physical threat to you, like for example, um, if you're a young lady and uh, your father has beat the stuffings out of you several times, and he's a, a drunkard maybe, and he can't control his temper, well, guess what? In, in the name of honoring him, you're not going to go over and visit him alone at his house. You have to draw some lines and have some boundaries. That's just wisdom. But you can still continue to honor parents, even who pose a physical threat to you, by simply going out with that parent at a public place with a, another sibling or someone else there with you, and therefore, in that setting, there's no threat of physical harm. Send them birthday cards, Christmas cards. Just let them know, I'm praying for you. I love you. Uh, just some words of kindness. Do even hardened people like that a ton of good. And it can eventually lead them to the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, so then, I want to give um, some practical ways to you of honoring parents here for a few minutes. Some practical ways of honoring parents. So the first one is this, refrain from rehearsing their mistakes. Refrain from rehearsing their mistakes. See, Luke 6.38 says this, give and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be heaped into your bosom. With whatever measure you use to give, it's that measure that's going to be used to give back to you. Now, if you read the whole context of Luke chapter 6, it's, that, that can be taken in both a positive sense and a negative sense. Because it actually mentions, if you give judgment, you're going to reap back judgment. Right? So, Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 38 is a very important uh, verse to consider um, when considering this uh, point here. Refrain from rehearsing their mistakes because you want to give mercy so mercy comes back to you. I don't know how many times Donna has said that when I get tempted to get frustrated with somebody and, uh, you know, want to start, you know, spewing a bunch of stuff. And Donna says, you know what, I don't want to judge them because I don't want to come back. I don't want that to come back on me. Amen. Praise God. I also want to remind you of Galatians 6, 7, which says, Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you give judgment and criticism, that's what you're going to get back. Because you're not a perfect person either. As a matter of fact, let me talk to you parents. Listen, you're not a perfect parent either. You've made mistakes. And for those of you young ones that will someday probably be parents, you're going to make mistakes. Your best intentions, you're going to do it wrong sometimes. You're going to lose your temper sometimes. You're going to be harsher than you should be sometimes. You're going to make decisions that were not the right decision in that particular situation sometimes. And when your kids get older and remember some of the mistakes that you made as a parent, you are going to need their grace. So don't just focus on your the, the terrible mistake to just focus on your parents' mistakes because you're going to make them too. Now, 
If we, are to, if we are to honor our parents as the Bible mandates, we have to come to terms with the fact that rehearsing and broadcasting their sins is defaming to them. And remember that one of the Hebrew definitions of that, that word kabed that was translated into English as honor is to glorify. Not only refrain from defaming them, but also to glorify in them. To glorify them. Talk nice about them to other people. Right? Hallelujah. Also next, refrain from reminding the parents of their past sins. Please don't do that. It's very destructive to relationships. Very hurtful. Okay, remember that 1 Corinthians 13 makes it very clear that love keeps no record of wrong. Amen? Love keeps no record of wrong. So then with those first two points in mind, it leads us to the third, which is to emphasize the good in your parents. Emphasize the good. Now, this leads me to my second reading this morning, and uh, this is out of a book called Common Sense Parenting that I read years ago by uh, Kent and Barbara, gosh, I should have wrote it down. I'm blanking on their last names at the moment. It's an older book. Uh, you can find it if you look, look hard enough. Common Sense Parenting is the name of that book. And actually, I, I, I listened to it on audio. Over and over, I listened to it on audio. But I, I want to give you um, an experience that they shared in that book. It was um, Barbara, the wife, her experience when she was a a young girl. So listen very carefully to this. This is a little bit of a longer reading, and uh, you'll have to use your imagination a little bit as she lays out the scene of what happened to her when she was a young teen. I was just 14 years old that warm June day as I readied myself for graduation from Stevens Junior High School. I was about to receive the Daughters of American Revolution Award for citizenship, scholarship, and service to one school and I was to address the graduates. Nervously, I scanned my notes and straightened the hem of my new blue organdy dress, which my grandma Barnes had lovingly made for me. As I began to ascend the platform, one of my girlfriends ran to me. There's a drunk man over there, she said. Dad's noisy arrival was unavoidably conspicuous. His clothes were a mess. He was so intoxicated that he had difficulty staying on his feet as he walked to his place. Dad's struggle with alcohol had always been a source of fear and pain for our family, but now it was the cause of my personal and public humiliation. I began to pray as a 14-year-old girl. I began to pray, and that prayer helped me to get through the painful situation. My legs trembling nearly gave way as I rose to speak, but inside something solid and good was taking place. I wasn't experienced enough to fully comprehend it, but I did understand that my father, my daddy, was causing me pain, and that my heavenly father had taught me to forgive. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So as the pr principle presented the award, tarnished now of its anticipated glory, I made a decision. By the grace of God, I would not hate my father. I would forgive him. Then I began my speech. At the ceremony's end, while we were congratulating one another and saying our summer goodbyes, 
I took my father by the hand and introduced him to my favorite teachers. 14-year-old girl. Oh, for more youth like that today. And then her husband, Kent, goes on to finish this section of the book. And he writes, In the three years which followed Barbara's graduation, her father's drinking weighed terribly on the family. He had finally landed on Skid Row in Los Angeles, where he remained until he, until he was diagnosed with advanced emphysema. He returned home as an invalid, and his wife cared for him for 11 years before his death. The decade provided our children's memories of their grandfather. During that time, we determined to emphasize the positive about Grandpa. We talked about his great sense of humor, and he was outrageously funny. What terrific chili he made, and how good he had been at fishing for shark off of Rainbow Pier. We laughed when he tried to yodel, croon, or play chords on the old piano. We entranced our own children when we scooped them up and danced the two-step he had taught us years earlier. Today, we all extravagantly make a fuss over babies, any babies, partly because Grandpa did. He was so utterly captivated and charmed by the sweetness of infants that whenever he held one, he was a light to behold, and he passed it on to us. He also loved to garden, something that has become Barbara's passion. This is but a very small part of his legacy to our family. Our children never learned about that painful graduation day when Barbara was 14 until they were grown and Grandpa was long since in heaven. Common sense. Isn't that good? Praise God. So folks, listen, even if one's relationship with your mother or father was almost totally destructive, there's probably still something to be thankful for. Even if it's only being thankful for your life or the color of your eyes or hair, we must do as the Apostle Paul wrote and be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And then the last point here on practical ways to honor parents is to obviously take care of them in old age. Take care of them in old age. You know, folks, many people feel stuck in their lives, dry and unfulfilled and without direction. And it's this issue right here, failure to honor one's parents, that's the sticking point for so many people, and they don't even realize it. Well, you might ask, what what if my parents drive me crazy? Okay, well, all right, let me just fill you in on a little perspective here. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.3 says, join me in suffering. Join me in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, I said that, you know, almost jokingly, but not really. It's actually a very sober point. Because in this day and age, and especially in this culture, especially the the younger the generations get, avoidance of discomfort is like, that's like the highest priority. It's like, I don't want any discomfort and no inconvenience. Don't inconvenience me, I don't want any discomfort, I don't want any any drama, just let me be me, let me go do my thing, 
and let me focus on myself. That's our culture. That's a very unbiblical way to live, however. Because the Bible says that we should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others in the book of Philippians, especially when it comes to our parents. So if your parents drive you crazy and are difficult, okay, well then please do as the Apostle Paul wrote there and join me in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Yes, I acknowledge that you may have to, with some parents, when you're with them, suffer through some things if they're difficult, if they're combative. I, I get it. But that does not exonerate us from honoring them anyway. The Bible didn't give you any condition. He didn't give you any out on this command. He didn't, the Bible doesn't say, honor your parents as long as they're nice to you all the time. The Bible doesn't say that. It says just honor them, period. As a matter of fact, go back to the Old Testament. And what did God say? Honor your parents. I am the Lord. Now, when God ended a phrase with, I am the Lord, you know what he's saying? He says, I'm God, I'm serious, this is not negotiable, do this. That's what it meant. Honor your father and mother, I am the Lord. That means I'm really serious about this. Now, folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Um, none of what we've covered so far um, is going to be possible without getting two things straight first. So I really want you to lean in right now and get these two points. Number one, you have to see yourself in truth first before you're able to pull this off. You're, you have to see yourself in truth first. See, people who withhold good from others who have blundered in life, listen to me, have probably never wept over your own sins. I want you to just let that sink in for a second. People who withhold good from others who have blundered have probably never looked in the mirror and wept over their own sins. Because when you do, you tend to have grace on other people. You know, as I've gotten older, I've run into a few people uh, over the years, a couple people actually, over the years, that when they see me, they'll, one guy said, I saw him at a, at a bat, uh, football game one time, it had been years since I've seen him, and he said, man, Andy, you've really aged. <laughs> I'm like, dude, have you looked in the, I didn't say this, dude, have you looked in the mirror? No. I didn't say that. And, and, and I've had, had at least one other people say something along those lines as well. And I, and I never respond. If I respond, I just kind of laugh it off like, yeah, you know, that happens, right? Or I just don't say anything at all. But then I come away from, from those comments almost feeling just a little bit miffed. It's like, is that all the social grace they really have? I mean, come on. But then um, recently it happened again, and, and I came away going, my, in the back of my mind, I got real carnal because I'm thinking, what a moron. But, <laughs> but the Lord had to stop me and, and he, he, he reminded me of something that I did 30 years ago to a man that was nearly identical. And it's like, oh yeah, I do remember that. Okay. 
then you, you give grace, right? See, when you're able to look in the mirror and analyze the dumb, ignorant, moronic stuff that you've done in the past, then you're able to give grace to people who do moronic things. Come on. And see, the older you get, the more you, you recognize the stuff that you did in your past that was moronic. When you're young, you don't recognize that as much yet. But when you get older, you look back and it's like cringeworthy. And it's like, oh my gosh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? What a moron I am. Right? And then you can start giving grace to people who do similar things that maybe it's directed at you. And you would otherwise be tempted to, to you know, lash back at them. But you go, I did the very same thing to somebody you know, three decades ago. So who am I to, you know, lash back at that person? Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. The second thing we got to get right before we get any of this down is that we have to forgive then as we have been forgiven. Forgive as we've been forgiven. See, I want to talk to you people who have been through pain, especially pain when it comes to your parents or other family members. And I'm in significant pain, significant brokenness. Because I know that there's people right here in this room, you've been through significant violations and brokenness. And I just want to say this to you. The only way through that pain is forgiveness. The only way through is forgiveness. And that's a whole other big topic in and of itself that I could discuss, but that's the only way through. If you're going to get to the other side of your pain, you're going to have to forgive as you have been forgiven. And I want to give some special instructions here to mothers and grandmothers in particular as we uh, start to come down home stretch here. Uh, so instructions to grandmothers and mothers in particular. And the first one is this, love and support your husband. Now, you, you might not have seen that one coming. But if you want to be a blessing to your children and you're still married, love and support your husband. Why do, why do I say this? Because when there's, when there's stress and tumultuous stuff going on in the home, you know what that does to young ones? It, it really, really wreaks havoc on their emotions and their sense of security, their sense of security. So I encourage people, you know, if you're having trouble in your marriage, one of the first things that you need to do when you come home from work is not go engage the child, go engage your spouse and have a, a few minutes of couch time just talking to each other and catching up and loving on each other because when your kids see you loving each other, it, they're much more secure. But when they see a bunch of trouble in the home, it makes them insecure about the future. It makes them fearful. In fact, I've heard of kids having panic attacks when there's a bunch of junk going on in the home. They can't even sleep by themselves anymore, so they have to run into the, to mom and dad's room and, and lay down in the bed and go to sleep because they're, just, they're fearful. They're, they're, they're insecure because there's all this stress in the home, and it causes them to be insecure and fearful. One of the best things that you can do for your kids, moms, is love and support your husbands. And I want to say another word about this too for you divorced ones. One of the worst things that you can do 
is try to turn your child against the other spouse. That is like one of the worst things psychologically. I'm, I'm a victim of that. I'm a victim. My, my home, I have six brothers and sisters. We're victims of that. I mean, I cannot even begin to tell you the psychological destruction that that brings into a family. Please, I'm begging you, don't do that. If you're divorced, don't talk bad and like vilify the other parent to your children because they want to love that other parent even though you're divorced and you, you, know, you may be out, out of the house. Don't, don't do that. They want to love both parents, okay? Don't destroy your children like that. And if you're having marital troubles, do something to try to get it right and, get, and heal your marriage. If for nothing else, the sake of your sweet children. Okay? Praise the Lord. All right. So, mothers, love and support your husbands. Second one, nurture your children. Now, I, I'm so sad that I even have to say this. And that, but in this day and age, you know, mother, God gave mothers naturally the gift of being able to nurture. But in this day and age... There's mothers, there's sometimes as many mothers that are leaving their families as fathers do. And having affairs and going nuts. And, and please, mothers, nurture your children. Nurture them. Create a happy home life. And nurture your kids. Love them. Support them. Um, you know what you do, mothers, when you nurture your children? You pass that tendency. You cause that tendency that God has deposited in your daughters in particular, you, when you model nurturing for them, that gets passed on to your daughters and they become nurturers. Now I wanna tell you, I talked about Donna earlier and what a great nurturer she is. She's a phenomenal nurturer. You know where she learned it? Her mom. You know, her mother Wilma, who's in heaven now, she was an amazing nurturer. And um, when we built our house, they built a house right across the street from us because she just wanted to nurture us. And she did. I mean, she went out of her way, bent over backwards. She worked like an unbelievable work ethic to come over and just help us around the yard and in the house. And, and uh, when Hannah started having babies, you know, the, just the, the care that she gave to Hannah, it was just unbelievable work ethic that, uh, in, in nurturing that Wilma, and a lot of you know Wilma, she went to church here for uh, many years prior to going on to heaven. And um, she was an incredible nurturer, and she passed that on to Donna. I'm sorry, Donna and Hannah, I didn't mean to make you get emotional with that. They, they, they miss her. Yeah. All right. Let me move along before I cry too. All right, next one is instruct your children in the ways of God. And I'm going to give you a passage on this one, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he grows older, he will not abandon it. That's a promise you need to hold on to right there, folks. Now, li now listen, but I want to make a qualifying remark about this. How can you train a child in the ways of God if you aren't even walking in the ways of God yourself? Okay? You lead by example. Ladies and gentlemen, see, your first and most important mission field is right there in your own home. I'm going to say that again. Your first and most important mission field is right there in your own home. Amen. 
I'm going to say it a third time. Your first and most important mission field is right there in your own home. Nurture and raise up your children in the way that they should go. And lead by example. Lead by example. All right. This is my last slide, my last scripture I'm going to share with you. Proverbs 23, verses 22, 24, and 25 say this. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. The father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. May your father and mother be glad, and may she who gave you birth rejoice. May she who gave you birth rejoice in you because you walk in the ways of God. One of the prayers that I pray to the Lord from time to time, which is right out of the Bible, is, Lord, make my heart happy by knowing that all my children walk in the truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want to end, or at least start to end, by saying that I realize that all of us, including myself, have uh, failed both in honoring our parents, and also in being good parents from time to time ourselves. And, you know, that's why God offers the gift of repentance, by the way, uh, which means apologizing and then turning around and going in the other direction. That's what repentance means in a soundbite. And when we do that, God offers forgiveness, a, a full pardon. Praise God. But you might ask, there may be some of you here that fits this description, I don't know, um, but what if the parents are deceased and you're realizing, man, I could have done some things better, but now they're gone. What do I do now? Okay. Well, you may not have the opportunity to repent to them, but you do have the opportunity to repent to God, and that's better anyway. Okay. Especially if those parents happen to be in heaven, they'll, you'll get to see them someday. So on a closing note, I want to say something kind of strong here for a minute, if I may. And those of you that, you know, go here all the time, you're kind of used to that by now. You're getting a little thicker skin. <laughs> those of you that come here a lot, because I don't shy away from uh, shooting straight with you, right? Um, but I want to say this, regardless of what your family has been through, embrace yourself, regardless of what your family has been through, it's a disgrace to not honor your mother or father. It's disgraceful. Now, why do I say that? It's because go to the Old Testament and the New Testament. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible lists not honoring your parents right alongside some of the most heinous and disgusting sins that you can think of. It, it categorizes them right there in the same grouping. And you might say, well, that's just Old Testament, Leviticus, the law. No, it's not. It's in the New Testament, too. Look at 1 Timothy. In the last days, it says, people will be lovers of themselves, abusive. They will dishonor their parents. That's what it says. And it goes on to list all these other horrible things. God takes this very seriously. But I do also want to give you some good news that you can always change. You can, you can always change, praise God. 
And God offers great reward for those who obey him in this way. Great reward. So, so what do you want? Curses or reward? Um, I'm not a smart man, but... Reward, come on. Come on. All right. It's my last thing I want to tell you. This morning, I, I thought I had this teaching all wrapped up. And this morning, I woke up with a song on my mind. And usually when I have a song on my mind, it's because I've been listening to it the previous day. That's not what happened this morning. I woke up this morning with a song going through my head that was from 1993 that I don't even listen to very much. And it's called Send a Message of Mercy. Send a Message of Mercy. That chorus was going through my head. Send a Message of Mercy. And I got to thinking, I haven't been listening to that song. I haven't listened to that song in I don't know how long. Send a Message of Mercy. And I'm like, oh, okay, Lord, you're trying to tell me something. So this, this song is going through my head. Send a message. And for some reason, I couldn't get past the first line of that chorus. Send a message of mercy. I knew the Holy Spirit was talking to me, trying to tell me something. And it's this. Some of you need to hear a message of mercy this morning for a number of reasons. Donna, can you go ahead and, head and come up and play something for a moment? We're about to end here. The message of mercy that I think the Lord is wanting to pass on to you is, is actually several of you. Some of you, through this teaching this morning, have recognized that you have been wrong in the way that you've treated parents or grandparents. And this is a time that you want to get it right, and God's extending his mercy toward you and sent me to send you a message of his mercy. Likewise, I realize that there may be parents in the room right now who you're having this kind of trouble with your either kids that live in the home or maybe adult children who... Uh, are being extremely dishonorable toward you in one way or another. And in this day and age now where there's so much division, you know, I have a, a, a friend here in town who tells me that he has a son that lives in Colorado and because they disagree on their political views, he won't have anything to do with him anymore. And because they disagree on COVID and the vaccine, he won't have anything to do with him anymore. Doesn't get to see his grandchildren. That's very painful. And I think that there's at least one family, maybe more in the room that that sort of thing has happened to. And I, I, God has sent me to send you a message of mercy today that even though we go through things that we do not understand sometimes, just like David, as we talked about earlier, who went through that wilderness experience for all those years. He didn't understand that. And even though God didn't ordain those things, God didn't ordain King Saul to have murderous intentions toward him. But God was turning it around to use for his ultimate good if he responded appropriately. And so I think that's what the Lord wants to say to you this morning. He's sending you a message of mercy that... If you keep seeking him, you keep doing the right thing. There's going to come a day when things are going to turn around for you just like they did David if you keep responding appropriately. So those of you that are in pain this morning because of that, God wants to 
begin healing that process, a, a healing process, even while you're waiting for the fulfillment of the, your prayers being answered. And likewise, those of you who have made terrible blunders along these lines um, in violating your parents, God's sending you a message of mercy this morning. And the last thing is that I know that there's parents in the room today who look back on maybe some of the things that they did with their children and they have tons of regret, tons of regret because they've blown things up. They've blown up relationships. Maybe even they blew up their marriage and there's tons of regret. God sent me to send you a message of mercy this morning because God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth and endless chances. So you didn't commit the, the, the unforgivable sin. Was it wrong? Was it sin? Yeah. But God wants to extend a message of mercy today and let you know, my daughter, my son, I still love you. Just pick yourself back up. I'm going to help you. I'm going to clean you off and hose you off. And we're going to go for this thing again. And if there's people that you need to make restitution to, go ahead and make that restitution. Repent to God. And then if it's possible for you to make restitution to someone, do that. I hear the Lord saying this morning that He loves unity. He loves family togetherness. And it's, it grieves Him when families begin to disintegrate and break apart. And sometimes it was because of your own doing, maybe. Sometimes you're collateral damage for something that someone else did. And you, did you can't help it. But sometimes it's because of something you did. Forgive me for repeating myself so much, but God is sending you a message of mercy this morning. He wants to forgive you if you'll respond to him in repentance. And he wants to bring beauty for ashes. Isn't that good? Stand with me if you will. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.